1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech Podcast by Collabora. Now, this week, the star of the show is technology. How can molecular reactions run somewhere between microliter and nanoliter levels on a chip be used to diagnose disease? Now, there's many advantages to this kind of on-site point-of-contact testing, especially for some specific diseases, things like sexually transmitted infections. And these are places where a patient may be hesitant to be visiting a clinic because they fear an invasive procedure or or worse, being spotted reading last year's Time magazine in a college campus clinic, you know, just by waiting to see a physician for some sort of an examination. The literature is clear. Rapid point-of-care testing means that patients are more likely to be tested, and it's all facilitated by a tiny laboratory on a chip. Today's guest is Dr. Anna Dixon. She's the Chief Technology Officer of Binks Health. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Dixon.
2: Hi, Clay. Nice to meet you. Good to be here.
1: Yeah, it's really nice that you're here. I really was fascinated by learning more about Binks and about some of the sort of strategies that you've presented. And for me, it was a little bit surprising because I was a teenager in the 80s and went to college, you know, in the end of the 80s, and it, it seemed like... There was circulating bugs like chlamydia, gonorrhea, that these things really fell off the radar because of HIV. And then as people started to engage in more safe sex practices, that these things kind of went away. You know, we didn't have these things anymore. So are these kinds of sexually transmitted infections really still a problem?
2: They really are. And in fact, it's it's interesting, having just come out of the, the COVID-19 pandemic that actually The STI epidemic is just getting worse and worse. And there's some really astonishing statistics. If if you look, you know, just not only across the world, but in specific locations like in the US, currently one in five people in the US has an STI. That's totally nearly 68 million infections just in 2018 alone. So this problem in terms of STI infections is, is actually getting worse and not better. And it's some astonishing statistics, not just in things like chlamydia gonorrhea, but in other infections such as HPV, trichomoniasis and HIV, that the rates are actually continuing to grow. And it's costing a lot of money as well. It's, it's really surprising that you know, new STIs are, are costing the US alone nearly $16 billion in, in direct medical costs. So not only is this, is this a huge public health burden, but it's also costing a huge amount of money as the infection rate continues to grow. So whilst these infections are, are historic and it's things that people have heard about you know, from the past, they're still very, very prevalent these days. And it's, it's an issue that's not getting better. And so Binks is really trying to be part of that to, to really try and tackle the problem in a new way.
1: It is an innovative strategy, and what's kind of funny, I'm here in Florida, USA, and one of the hotbeds for these types of infections are really in these older retirement communities. Down here, we have just loaded in these areas that these places where they're mostly retirees who are spending their time passing around infections. Is that true in other places too?
2: It is true in other places, and uh, we see rising rates of STIs, particularly things like syphilis in the older age groups. And of course, we aim to be tackling across the broad range of people that are having these infections. But certainly, if you look at the the age groups where the real problems are, where the rates are getting worse, it really is amongst young people. And if you look at the statistics again, because they really say it all, Almost half of new STIs are among the, the youth groups that are in the age 15 to 24 range, certainly in the US. And this, this partly goes to our, our testing strategy is that young people are not getting tested for these infections, which is why rates are continuing to grow. But, you know, if you just think of the impact on that age group, that so half of all new STIs are among people age 15 to 24. It's, it's a really serious position that we're in.
1: It really is. What are some of the effects that occur when people who are younger maintain these STIs and spread them? And what is the long-term impact on their own personal health?
2: Sure. So it it really depends what infections we're talking about. But certainly, in general, these can have a grave effect, particularly on women. Certainly, if you have, for example, chlamydia, gonorrhea, and other STIs, they can actually increase your risk of getting HIV. So, you know, that's a very serious risk, of course. But then when you're specifically looking at things like chlamydia, it can occur occur long-term pelvic and abdominal. It can cause infertility. It can cause the inability to to get pregnant or have pregnancy complications, such as early or premature births. So, you know, these infections, whilst, you know, potentially young people don't think they're serious, they can have lifelong consequences. And, you know, this is part of the issue in terms of the healthcare burden that it's costing, particularly in the US, where it's not just addressing the fact that you have to medicate those that are infected, but the long term costs of treating those people that have, had, that have had a prolonged and untreated infection can be really very serious.
1: And you mentioned this idea of of healthcare costs but are there other social costs as well? I mean are there other impacts that are happening because there are is such a high prevalence of these types of diseases?
2: Absolutely, you know one 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 thing that is exacerbating the situation, of course, is the fact that people aren't getting tests because sexually transmitted infections are you know often seen as bad things to have. So people are cautious and and don't access healthcare because they're embarrassed to go and get a test. And this is part of the problem as to why the rates continue to grow because people are embarrassed and scared to go and get a test. So opening accessibility testing is absolutely crucial. In tackling this problem and making it very normal for people to go and get a test and make it part of their normal healthcare routine. As soon as you start to make something behind a closed curtain, people are not going to access that testing and the problem will only get worse. So, really important that people see testing as a very normal thing to go and do.
1: So, it's kind of a question of people having a stigma attached to the testing itself but are the tests really kind of invasive and something that people just want to avoid because they seem like they're a problem? Like How are they currently testing and what are those limitations to the tests?
2: Sure. So currently, at the moment, most people who go for an STI test, they would attend a clinic and they would have a sample potentially taken by a clinician or in some cases they can self-collect their sample. But more often than not, they will have a sample collected by a clinician. And, you know, they'll have to go and sit and wait in that clinic. They'll you know be in a waiting room amongst others where maybe they don't want to be seen in case they bump into someone that they don't know. And they may be there for quite a long period of time waiting for their appointment, waiting to see the clinician and waiting for that sample to be taken. Typically, depending on whether someone has symptoms or not, for example, a female, they may have a pelvic exam, which can be quite intrusive, and they'll have typically a vaginal swab taken. And then for male patients, that's typically a urine sample. And the process that they would go through is they would have that sample taken that will get sent off to a, a central reference lab. And it may take many days for that test result to come back. Typically, in some cases, it may be five, seven, or even longer, sometimes 12 to 14 days for that result to come back. And of course, if that person's positive, they then have to make that return visit to go and get their medication, go back to the doctors again, and, and you know potentially again bump to someone that they may not want to see and make that second visit. So the whole process at the moment is quite cumbersome. It takes time and it means the time between that person having their sample taken and the time that they may get that medication, they could be transmitting that infection to somebody else or to, to multiple people or they could be developing some of the symptoms that we talked about in terms of untreated infection. So the current scenario, the current gold standard of care where there's a, a time gap between taking your sample and then getting that result is really where the current problem lies
1: when you mentioned the possibility of running into somebody you know and that kind of thing, and the demographics of younger people who are maintaining these infections, at least in the U.S., does that really kind of tie in with... Maybe these are most circulating between, say, college students who are all in one place where they're likely to see each other inside a clinic. And are the habits of younger people changing, kind of getting away from safe sex and maybe being more likely to spread these things because they're not using proper barrier protections?
2: It can can be. It can be a multitude of factors, that's included, but also the knowledge and the education about when and how to get tested and certainly accessibility to testing is key. You know, Everyone knows that young college students, they're short on time, they're very busy, they want to be doing things with their friends. They don't want to be in the healthcare centre waiting for appointments and you know, potentially, like we said, running into their friends. And so you know, the, the epidemic that we see now is a combination of factors, but certainly regular screening and ensuring people get tested on a regular basis can help solve the problem. And in fact, CDC recommends that all females in the age group of 15 to 24 get tested once a year. And at the moment, 80% of young people are not getting tested. So you can imagine a scenario where more people get tested every year and you start to eradicate that infection in groups of people, you stop that onward transmission. So a multitude of practice, but certainly really important to have that accessibility to testing and for people to know that they can get tested and where to go to do that.
1: So all of the setup has really been to introduce the Binks test. And this test that allows an on-site, very rapid test, that allows an individual to understand their current status in terms of a couple of different infections. So could you describe what this 30 minute test is and how sample collection works? Is this really something that's less invasive?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So what we've done at at Binks is we've taken what normally happens across, like we said, one or perhaps two weeks to go from sample collection to result. We've shrunk that time down into 30 minutes while still retaining the high accuracy that you need to have when you're trying to detect an SDI. And what we've developed at Binx, we've developed an instrument, a small desktop-sized instrument called the Binx I.O., and a single-use cartridge. And what that cartridge and instrument combination does is it allows us to test for both chlamydia and gonorrhea in only 30 minutes. And we do that by collecting a sample in the traditional way, a vaginal swab for a female or a urine sample for a male. But we have the advantage that they could be self-collected, or they, they can be clinician-collected, but the advantage there that a female patient can go and take their own sample if they wish. A so what happens with the is once that sample is taken, the clinician or the, the person working in the clinic will add that patient sample to our single-use cartridge and put the cartridge into our instrument. They would press a few buttons and add the patient ID, for example, press go, walk away from the machine. And in about 30 minutes, they would get that result on the screen. And what that means is they're able to then act on that result and be able to prescribe medication to that person should they be positive. But the technology underneath the hood of the instrument is really very clever. If you can imagine We've shrunk what would normally happen in the lab over a maybe four to five hour period with a laboratory technician into a fully automated system that anyone can use.
1: Yeah, so nice and easy. Just plug in the cartridge, give a little bit of a sample, and let the machine take it from there. So (laughs) So we're speaking with Dr. Anna Dixon. She's the chief technology officer of Binx Health. This is Collabra's Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment.
0: This episode is brought to you by Collabra, the data monitoring platform designed to reveal research insights and streamline reporting across your organization. With Collabra, you'll gain a comprehensive view of your research workflows, simplifying scientific IP governance, compliance, and analysis. Visit collabra.app to learn how you can transform your research process today. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.
1: And now we're back on Collabra's Talking Biotech podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Anna Dixon. She's the Chief Technology Officer of Binks Health. And we're talking about a rapid detection technique that allows in-clinic detection of specific sexually transmitted diseases, which is really important because they're gaining in incidence, and you're seeing more and more cases of it, yet people are being tested less and less and some of the key demographics are spreading the disease at an alarming rate. We talked about this before the break. It's a cartridge that goes into a machine in a clinic that is able to detect a number of different sexually transmitted infection pathogens. So could you tell me uh, first, like, what pathogens does it screen for?
2: Sure. So the Binx IO test screens for both chlamydia and gonorrhea in the same test at the same time. And what we're able to also do is check that the cartridge works correctly by having an internal process internal processing control on board that cartridge.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. So how is the detection actually happening? I mean, you're taking a sample, as you mentioned before, and getting this onto a cartridge, putting that cartridge in the machine, then is this like a microfluidics thing? Or how does it happen that all this magic happens on one cartridge in 30 minutes?
2: Sure. So it's a PCR-based test, and it really works by the interaction of the single-use cartridge with the instrument. It is a microfluidic test, so there's lots of channels on board the cartridge, and we essentially move the liquid around under pneumatic control, which is controlled by the instrument. On board the cartridge, we have dried-down reagents, and they're reconstituted as the liquid moves around the cartridge. And there's really essentially three different parts to our cartridge. There's an area at the beginning, which is called sample prep. That's where we take the DNA from the sample once it's been added by the user. And once that DNA has been extracted from that patient sample, it then travels through the cartridge to an area that we use called the PCR chamber. And it's an area of the cartridge where we take the DNA that we've extracted from the patient sample, if it's present. And we're able to copy it many millions of times using something called the polymerase chain reaction. And this is a really highly accurate and well-recognized method for the detection of of diseases across the board, not just STIs. And it's a really great way to make sure that you're highly able to detect that DNA in that patient sample. And then the third part of our cartridge is really the unique proprietary part of the detection technology that we have unique to us here at Binks. And it's an electrochemical detection method. This is a really great way to then identify and be able to interpret the fact that you've copied that chlamydia and gonorrhea DNA many, many times in the PCR reaction. And it's a really neat method that not only allows us to quickly detect the presence of chlamydia and gonorrhea, but it's, it's great because it's cost effective. It also makes the, the instrument easy to use and it means you don't have to carry out calibrations or do any maintenance. On the machine. And that electrochemical method uses something called electronic probe. They bind to the many millions of copies of DNA that you've amplified in your PCR reaction. And then we use a specific enzyme that really chops off this electronic label that we have present in our electrochemical detection chamber. And we use something called a screen-printed electrode. And many people might be familiar with these uh, when you think about glucose testing. For people that have diabetes, We they're they're commonly used things in in sensors. And we use, use those to detect the presence of the DNA in combination with our electrochemical detection method. And once that's carried out, the instrument does some clever math. We apply a number of algorithms and it's able to then translate that detection result into a, a qualitative result on the screen for the user to be able to see that tells them whether their patient has chlamydia or gonorrhea.
1: Now, there's one part of this that's a little black box for me. And if you can talk about this, this would be great. You know, how does it know? if it's chlamydia or gonorrhea or just some other pathogen or non-bacterial DNA, just some DNA, say, from the person itself?
2: Sure, that's a really great question. So in the polymerase chain reaction, this is a very, very highly specific reaction. We have things called primers inside that PCR chamber, and they're small lengths of DNA that are complementary to other pieces of DNA that are present, for example, in chlamydia, and they will only stick to that piece of DNA if the chlamydia is present. And for their, for the PCR reaction to then occur, that those primers have to stick to that piece of DNA within the chlamydia genome. And if that occurs, again, we use a, a number of different enzymes and chemicals for the reaction to happen. And we're able to then create millions of copies just of a small segment of chlamydia. And it's that specificity that allows us to ensure that we really are detecting chlamydia and not just some random other thing. And then on the Banks Cartridge we have another layer of specificity where the electronic probes that I was just talking about They, again, are specific to the DNA that we've just amplified in the PCR chamber. So it's really important for it to be highly specific, of course, because what you don't want to do is give someone a false positive result, which is a result that could occur if, for example, someone didn't have chlamydia, but you thought they did. So it's very, very important with any diagnostic test that you have a high level of not only sensitivity where you're detecting positive samples, but also specificity where you're very highly accurately making sure that you give negative people the correct result as well.
1: That is really amazing that this can all be done on a microfluidic chip because, you know, 30 minutes, that's how much time it takes me to set up to do a DNA prep, let alone the PCR and detection. And so that really is amazing to me. So this is really the primers that are giving the specificity for the target as it does in PCR, but some sort of a detectable beacon on the primer that when incorporated is the thing that gives you detection that can be differentially sensed between chlamydia or gonorrhea or, you know, just some other DNA sequence. And then the primers that are left over probably disappear from the chip during detection. So you're actually only seeing bona fide incorporation in the PCR products. Do I have that right?
2: Yeah, that that's correct. The, the the only slight difference is that the, the beacon or the electronic label that we actually use in our detection is only applied to the sample in our detection chamber. It's not actually incorporated at the PCR stage. So at the PCR stage, we are just amplifying the DNA. We then transfer that to our detection chamber. And it's within that chamber that we have our electrochemical. And that then can stick to our millions of copies of chlamydia that we've amplified.
1: I see. So that makes a lot more sense. So this kind of test, you mentioned it's sensitive, but it's also specific. Are, what is the kind of rate of false positives? And are these the kind of things that you get a positive? Do you recommend that a patient follow up with a different test as well? Or is this the kind of thing where where they just would be better better benefited by going right into an antibiotic regimen?
2: Sure. So we've done some extensive clinical studies to to ensure that our test is is highly accurate so that it's got a high level of both sensitivity and specificity. And this was part of the process that we went through to get our regulatory clearance. The test is 510k and clear waived by FDA. And that clinical study we did was really to demonstrate that against central laboratory tests, the Binks IO test was highly accurate. And really what that entails is quite extensive. You have to collect many, many patients. And in fact, those patients have to give four samples, for example, and you test three of those samples on central laboratory reference tests that are well known and well used. And then you compare your Binks ia results to those three central laboratory tests. And when we do that and when we do all of the analysis, we can see that both female and for male samples in both asymptomatic and symptomatic populations, we have very high levels of accuracy. So, for example, when you're thinking about specificity, both for chlamydia and gonorrhea, our tests are more than 99% specific. So that's really important because it means that people who are negative, we have a very, very high degree of confidence that they really are negative. Now, one thing to note is that no one test is perfect. So, if you look at central laboratory tests that kind of pit themselves against each other, you will find that there's not always commonality between the results. And this is why we carry out extensive clinical studies and compare, for example, the test case, the Binks against three different other laboratory tests so that we can get that really good confidence that the test result and the, the clinical trial results that we're getting are as accurate and well, well populated as possible on a statistical basis.
1: Well, the real big advantage, though, is that they're actually getting the test, right? I mean, that's the big difference.
2: Absolutely. And certainly being able to get that test, but not only get that test and have that test result interpreted and then reacted to is really the important thing here. And it goes both ways as well. So, you know, very much when you're thinking about diagnostics, you're thinking about, okay, we need to identify the positive people, which of course is really, really important. But it's also really important that you accurately identify the negative people quickly. And the reason why that's important in sexually transmitted infections is because in many cases, if someone's showing symptoms of an STI, and perhaps they've had risky behaviour and they go to their clinician, sometimes a clinician will give them antibiotics even if they haven't got the test result back yet. And so that's called empirical treatment, where you can treat someone just in case you think that they've got it because at the time of seeing them in the clinic, they've got symptoms and they've told you that they've, they've had some risky behaviour perhaps that means they may be at risk of having an STI. But of course, that can then lead to problems in terms of antibiotic resistance where people are being overtreated just in case they have this infection. So the big tie, of course... Like I just said, it's really important for identifying those positive patients because they can be treated on the spot, but also important because you can actually identify the negative patients, meaning you're sparing them inappropriate antibiotics. And, you know, everyone knows the, the problems that we're now encountering in terms of antibiotic resistance across the world. You know, you may have heard of some cases of something called super gonorrhea, where People are now having cases of gonorrhea that are becoming untreatable. In fact, there's only one frontline treatment left now for gonorrhea. So it's really important that we accurately treat people, whether they're positive or don't treat them if they're negative.
1: And and maybe I can be a devil's advocate a little bit here in that if someone's going in for clinical assessment of what they feel is some sort of a, a, a problem, either reproductively or urinary tract, this type of thing, and they're getting this kind of test... What about all of the other problems that they could have? Everything from non-specific urethritis through, through trichomoniasis through things like you know, well, syphilis is another one that comes to mind. The HPV, you know, all the other types of issues that can be associated with sexually transmitted disease. Do you run a risk of those things not being detected because you have a really good test for these other two?
2: Sure, I think it probably falls into two different brackets. So. Many STIs are asymptomatic. So, when when you're thinking about asymptomatic people, so you're thinking about people that are are either having a screening test or they don't have symptoms, but they're thinking maybe they may have something because of an encounter that they've had. So, in that case, if you give them a binks-eye chlamydia gonorrhea test, then and it's negative, you can probably quite safely say, okay, you know, maybe they don't have anything else. If, though, on the other hand, you've got a symptomatic patient and they've come to you, they've got symptoms and your suspicion is that they've got chlamydia gonorrhea and you carry out, like I just said, a rapid Binks IO CTNG test, a chlamydia gonorrhea test, and it's negative, you're still in a great position there where you can say, okay, they're negative for chlamydia gonorrhea, what else might they have? Whereas in, the, the current system where you would have to wait for that test result, you may then over-treat them or you may say, oh, well, I really think they've got chlamydia, so I'm not going to bother testing for other things. So it, you can see in many different ways why it's really important to get that test result on the spot.
1: And, and do providers need special training to be able to administer these kinds of tests?
2: So the Bing IO system is super, super easy to use. So what we gained back in March 2021 was something called clear waived status. And that's a labelling that we were able to gain from FTA, which demonstrates how easy the test is to use. So when you gain clear waiver, when you go through the clear waiver process, you have to demonstrate many things to show that really the system is insensitive to untrained people it means that you can get the correct test result even if you're not a trained laboratory person. And really, that says it all how easy it is to use. And in fact, in our clinical study, in our original 510k clinical study, 95% of our patient samples were actually processed on our big side by non-laboritarians in a, a point-of-care setting. So we had people in, for example, student health centres, in uh, OBGYN clinics, in STI clinics. But the tests were being run by... Office personnel, by nurses, but by interns. So it really demonstrates how easy the test is to use. It's just really those three simple steps of collecting the patient sample, adding that to the cartridge, and putting in the machine, press and go.
1: Well, what's next on the horizon for this type of point of contact testing? Is it the kind of thing where you would see maybe expanded detection of other STIs or even, you know, other pathogens or potentially, let's say, even other conditions that may be present through the urinary reproductive systems?
2: Sure. So, you know, when it comes to the binxio, really the world is our oyster when it comes to what we can put onto our machine and that's really because it's what's called a platform technology so if you think about it we have a standalone instrument it has some clever electronics and pneumatics inside that instrument and then we have a standalone cartridge and that standalone cartridge can be altered and changed in terms of the chemistry that we put onto that cartridge and it means we can add new targets to that cartridge without having to change the whole system without having changing user experience and that's a really great way to develop menus and allow for example clinicians to have a whole menu of cartridges a whole menu of cartridges that we can use on that single instrument and so for us here at binks we're really expanding into broader STI testing or women's health so for example it's looking things at looking at things like trichomonas vaginalis things like bacterial vaginosis UTI infections, things that, you know, are really affecting people's lives in terms of either access to care or the inability to get an accurate result quickly. And, you know, for any people that have, you know, ever encountered having those infections, frequently these people are going back to their clinicians on multiple occasions before they get their problem solved. Because maybe they're given the wrong wrong antibiotic the first time. So, we're really targeting those things that affect people where infections can can grow where infections can be transmitted to other people and where it's really having an impact on people's lives if they're unable to get that accurate test result quickly.
1: Now th- that's the really exciting part for me because I know what it's like to access healthcare as someone who has good insurance in the states and and it for me it's almost impossible to get an appointment anytime in the next 3 months. You know, so to try to do this in the place of outpatient clinics, you know, it, the, this kind of thing is really very revolutionary in my mind and it seems like you would even want to move beyond even just STIs and are there other diseases that you could detect using this microfluidics technology from things like you know like nasal swabs or maybe oral swabs even you know think about COVID you know being anything that you could detect using the same sort of platform just by changing out the primers?
2: Absolutely so we've dealt with some Really exciting work at Binks, where we've looked at what is the capability of the platform, and it's really very, very broad. So if you think about the three sections of the cartridge that I talked about earlier, we've we've had a look at each of those three sections of the cartridge and said, okay, how can they be altered and changed to develop really a broad menu? So, you know, if you think about the first part of it and you think about the sample types that go, can go into the cartridge. I've talked about urine, I've talked about vaginal swabs, which are suitable for STI testing, but we've done a whole bunch of testing on things like learned or rectal swabs, pharyngeal swabs, and it means we can also detect both DNA and RNA. And the ability to detect infections from both DNA and RNA is huge because, of course, you start to really broaden that menu in terms of the content that you put onto that cartridge. And in the same way... We've done a lot of proof of principle work and feasibility work looking at, okay, what can we do inside that PCR chamber? What can we do inside that detection chamber? And certainly in the amplification chamber, we've done what's called multiplexing. And that's where you can add more than one set of primers to your PCR chamber, and you can begin to detect more and more pathogens at the same time. And it's another really great trait of our electrochemical detection where we're able to do a high level of multiplexing just on this small cartridge. And that's an example. We have four detection chambers on our cartridge. We have a library of those electronic probes that I talked about. And so we're able to multiplex into the 20s. Now, you may not need to do that across all panels um, in terms of all infectious diseases, but the ability to be able to put lots of different targets and multiplexes is pretty huge. And and in the same vein, we've also done some really exciting work on something called SNP detection, and that's single nucleotide polymorphism detection. And that's where you're able to pinpoint single changes in the DNA of your sample or the RNA of your sample. And that's a really powerful tool in terms of being able to really, again, broaden the menu and the content that you put onto that cartridge. And it's the kind of thing that allows you to detect different strains of, for example, gonorrhea, typically, you know, when we're talking about all of the infections around the world, there are multiple strains or multiple types of gonorrhea that are being transmitted around. And some of them are resistant to certain antibiotics, but that antibiotic resistance is only caused by small changes in the DNA of the gonorrhea. And this uh, SNP detection that I just talked about is a method for being able to differentiate between different types of gonorrhea and that becomes a really really powerful tool when you're talking about diagnostics because in many cases not only is it important to diagnose what the person has but you need to know what type have they got a resistant strain or have they got a susceptible strain and therefore what antibiotic should I give them so Those are just a a kind of small few examples of the kinds of things that we can put on this platform and enable us to to detect things like MRSA and MSSA, be able to detect things like group B strep, and also move into things potentially like companion diagnostics, where you're able to test people and say, you need this level of a drug or you need that level of a drug based on the DNA in that patient sample.
1: Now, this is just magical to me. I mean, it seems so cool to be able to do this in such a quick turnaround time. And the first thing my mind goes to is the developing world where maybe you don't have the best access to immediate laboratory facilities or transportation or logistics to them and be able to get back a faithful result in a reasonable amount of time. And is this something that, you know, maybe your company has designs on reaching those types of environments where people could really benefit from rapid detection of, of specific diseases
2: absolutely we would love to be part of you know helping the developing world the developing countries that in the same way as developed countries are yearning for tests like this and perhaps even more so where you know rural clinics are unable to process either large amounts of samples or where you know the distance to the laboratories that is testing is you know a long geographical distance and perhaps even takes longer than the kind of one to two weeks that that is usually both both europe and the us and so our instrument has the potential for example to have a battery operated pack or or be generated into a. for the power to be generated using solar power, for example. So the, the, the interest of being so easy to use and, and compatible with any situation is would be a great solution for the developing world. So I think it would be something that we would love to be part of.
1: Well, all of this is really great that you can come up with a reliable result very quickly. But how does the data that's generated dovetail with medical records and all the electronic ways of currently taking care of the confidentiality of the data and at the same time providing it into a network very quickly?
2: Sure. So data was really important to us and we recognized that really early on in the design of the instrument that, okay, it's great to get a good result, but what do you do with the information there? So we have the compatibility with our instrument currently to seamlessly integrate with electronic medical records. We've done some of those integrations, which is really great what that means is once a test has been resolved, once that test has been run, it can be directly transferred into the medical records of that clinic. And this is really important when it comes to things like chlamydia gonorrhea as diseases that need to be notified to the relevant public health bodies, because it means those clinicians have got that data right at their fingertips. We're also able to export results to a USB stick or print the results on a printer. But the ability to transmit those results directly to a server is really what we are looking at next. And so when we develop our system further, we will have both Wi-Fi and cloud connectivity ability, which will just be great. And it will mean that we'll be able to have the standalone instrument and be able to transmit that data right over to any system.
1: Well, this is all really fascinating technology. If someone wanted to learn more about Binks Health, where would they look on social media or maybe on the Internet?
2: Sure. So we have a really great website. So that's www.mybinkshealth.com. And we're also present on Twitter, on Facebook and on LinkedIn, but the, the website is a really great source of information, not just only on our technology, but also on STIs because, you know, we really believe that education is a part of this. So there's a ton of information on there just about STIs as well.
1: Well, Dr. Anna Dixon, thank you very much for your time today. This is really exciting from a really kind of geeky technology side and thinking about microfluidics and experiments happening on the the microliter or nanoliter scale. But at the same time, uh, solving a bigger problem in the presence and emergence of what we thought were old diseases. So thank you very much for joining me. Great. Thank you very much. And thank you again for listening to another episode of Collabra's Talking Biotech podcast. This is another great example of modern detection, where being able to identify a problem early and accurately results in improved health care and improved costs. And this is the kind of thing we need to see a whole lot more of going forward. So thank you very much for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week.